Blog Talk Radio. everyone and welcome to the Wednesday night edition as always on the Fight Network of our sports conversation. I'm Don Henderson, our normal group around the country in uh, Tampa, Florida, Roy Cummings, of course, and in Atlanta, Georgia, 
our uh, leading correspondent down there that keeps us informed on what's happening all around the world in baseball and in the world champion Braves. <laughs> and that's, uh, but first of all, before we get to all our guests tonight, a big show coming up. Let me go back because our executive producer, Frank Carroll, has a, uh, a message that comes from the police department we have to get to right away. Yeah, John, uh, uh, it was nine, nine years ago yesterday that uh, uh, a patrolman up in the Carpet Springs uh, lost his life. Um, and Tom was a, was a great guy. Uh, the chief just sent me a, a text saying that his, his daughter, Kaylee, uh, had her 18th birthday today. Um, so to uh, Kaylee, and, and thanks to all the guys, as you know, when you put that, you that tin on your, on your shoulder, or your, your badge, um, you become a, a member of the Blue Line for life. And uh, they take care of their own, and we always try to make sure that uh, we take care of each other. So uh, to uh, Kelly, we want to uh, we want to wish you a very happy birthday. Uh, I know your dad used to listen all the time, and uh, your mom does listen periodically because I get emails from her. So uh, happy birthday and uh, continued success at uh, in college. All right, Frank, let's get right to it because we've got a big show. As I said, Roger Henry's in Atlanta, and, of course, Roy Cummings in Tampa. And we've got a couple of different directions to go. And, Roy, let's start up because this is uh, game number four of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So the Lightning are down two games to one. Uh, your observation going into tonight, game four. Well, I think uh... – Although the two teams are very evenly matched, uh, I think Colorado is the better team, but they don't have the better goalie. And I think that that became an issue uh, in game three. Um, You know, obviously what we've had here is we had one game go to overtime, two games where somebody's been blown out. Uh, Colorado blew out Tampa in game two, and Tampa pretty much blew out Colorado in game three. And, uh, you know, I think the goaltending had something to do with that. Uh, I think Tampa's become, you know, they're very resilient. It's probably one of their best qualities is, and let's, cause let's not forget even in game one down two goals, uh, they came back and it pushed it, uh, pushed that game to overtime. So, um, I, I think Tampa's uh, resiliency is, is one of their best qualities. Um, they're doing this without Braden point, which is, uh, important. Uh, they'll do it tonight with a bit of a banged up, uh, Kucherov. We'll see how good they are, but, you know, I do think Colorado's a better team. Their speed, their energy, I think, is superior to Tampa's. But Tampa just knows how to – they know how to fight back. They know how to hang in there. They, they don't get flustered by uh, a two-goal lead, a, a two-games-to-none lead, uh, or deficit, I should say. And um, we've, we've seen that uh, in this series. We've seen both of those situations. And Tampa's uh, come back. I, I won't be surprised at all, guys, if they win again tonight. And uh, if we end up uh, coming back to Tampa for uh, for Game Six uh, with with Colorado leading and a chance to win it, I, I think the home ice advantage is really important here. Not necessarily because of matchups, just because I think the team's drawing off the energy from the crowds a little bit, and it's uh, I think it's helped them both. Roy, what I'd like to say before we go any further is, uh, if there was ever a night that we uh, we missed our leader, the guy that really put this show all together for so many years. And Tommy obviously passed away a few months ago, and nobody could be more missed than Tommy tonight with the Lightning playing the way they're playing, the Flyers naming a new coach who was really a personal friend of Tommy's. 
so I just want to make a comment at the outset. Uh, Roger, I'll let you take over from there, but uh, just to remember us of Tommy, and we just wish he was here tonight. Yeah, we sure do, guys. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, look, I, I think um, I think Tom, Tommy's looking down on uh, on this Lightning team and and helping them out a little bit. I really do. And uh, yeah, we boy, we miss him more than ever tonight. That's for sure. And it's just a reminder of what a great friend he was. And what, no one, no one was more passionate about the Lightning than Tommy. And um, so. You know, it's uh, yeah, we miss him for sure. We really do. Well, we're, we're going to talk about with, with uh, Tom Lemaine at the top of the hour uh, about the Flyers because uh, you know he's deeply involved with them. But I, I will say this: the Flyers blew the announcement of Tort. And the thing that really gets me is, and Don, you and I uh, got that uh, uh, email uh, from John Marks about Zach Hill retiring. Right. And, you know, the PR, the longtime PR head of the Flyers. When that comes out, and then they have this announcement at 10 o'clock on Friday morning, and they only do a Zoom, I mean, that is blowing a big opportunity because, like Al Morgani was saying this morning, they could have done that on Monday. The Phillies are off, and they could have had – a really big event, but they didn't, and, and have Tort there, but he was in his house when uh, doing the uh, the Zoom. So uh, I, I just, you start wondering about the Flyers uh, at the top, and with Zach Hill retiring, uh, they lose, uh, like, one of the, not only a wonderful PR person, but a wonderful human being. 30 and, years, uh, 30 probably, years, Roger. 30 years, and he was with the Sixers before that. Because I remember correct. that. But, Roy, I'll tell you, we talked about this uh, last week, um, about the uh, uh, that Don and I don't see much of Colorado, the Avalanche, uh, because they're out west. But I watched those games, and I have to tell you, they're an impressive team. Like you were saying, I do think it'll go seven games, but I think it'll all wind up uh, with Colorado winning uh, because of the uh, home advantage. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, look, I've said all along I, I thought that Colorado was the best team in the league this year. Um, and, and primarily I, I felt that way because of their speed and, and, and energy. I mean, this is what you're seeing from them is nothing new. And, you know, even within the game, uh, game three on, on, uh, on Monday night, you could see that speed and energy uh, come to the forefront and, and give Tampa problems. And I think eventually that's going to be the difference here is that, Tampa's just a little bit slower, and it's you know it's not a bad thing. It just it is what it is. I mean, Tampa's got a structure, and they if they play it, they can certainly uh, shut uh, shut uh, Colorado down, which they showed in Game Three. Um, but if they're not playing that structure uh, to the letter, uh, it, it's going to be a problem for them because I don't think they can keep up with the speed as much. It just it's 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 really incredible the energy and speed that they have, and you know. Uh, he's, he's been solid throughout the playoffs, but he hasn't done much against Tampa. Um, Nathan McKinnon is, is still, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a weapon that hasn't quite, um, you know, hurt the lightning just yet. So we'll see how that goes. Kale McCarr has certainly done things. Obviously, uh, Valerie Nikushkin, uh, a few other guys, Miko Rantanen, 
Uh, Burakovsky, who's not going to play again tonight, not even in uh, Tampa, but uh, uh, they have really yet to feel the, the wrath of uh, Nathan McKinnon. And if, if that happens, boy, look out, Katie bar the door. It, it could be over in six. But I, I do think Tampa's resiliency is, is big, and I think it continues tonight. I'm, I'm anxious to see how this one plays out. I think it'll be a close game again. Just a quick sidebar before we continue, and that is a couple of home runs by Tampa Bay in the bottom of the first inning. They lead the Yankees 3 nothing right now, uh, playing, of course, at the Trop. Uh, going back down to the, uh, to the hockey, the one thing that's been disappointing to me, Roy, and I think more disappointing to the audience that's uh, on the fringe, because as you pointed out, game one was a very exciting game. The Lightning were down and came back and lost it in overtime. Game two, a disaster, 5-3, uh, I mean, 7 nothing. Game four, three the other night, 5-3. to three. It was 5-3 in an in a early part of the second uh, period. Uh, I don't think people are going to stay to watch when they have games like that, even though it's the most important portion of the National Hockey League season. A 7 nothing game, a 5-2 game, a 5-3 game in the, in, in the second period, the fringe people aren't going to watch those games. Well, you might be right. Uh, I, I, I think you might especially be right about what we saw in game three. Obviously, game one was, was very close, pushed over right. time. I think everybody stands there. But I'll say this about game two, um, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but the way Colorado played, it was so impressive. And I, for a hockey fan, it was hard to just not sit there and just marvel at it. Um, I think if Tommy were here, he would even have to admit, how could that? How could you not just have your eyes popped open by watching uh, the speed and, and, and skill that Colorado displayed in that game? To me, it was just exceptional. I can't remember uh, a Stanley Cup finalist playing at that high a level. I mean, I think you almost have to go back to the old Oilers, uh, the old uh, Islanders maybe. Uh, I, I don't remember a team playing that, being that dominant and forcing the, the, the issue as much as Colorado did. And while it, it led to a blowout, to me it was so impressive that how could you take your eyes off? And I'll say this, every time Nathan McKinnon gets the puck, guys, every time Kale McCarr gets the puck, those guys bring you out of your seat. And uh, so I, I think there is something there for the casual fan, but, Don, I agree. Uh, it, it, I don't think it's good for, for the game overall to um, – uh, to have games like game three, I'll say. Um, but uh, th- that said, um, you know, it's not, the, it's not the Stanley Cup Finals job to, to draw new fans necessarily. Um, I think marketing is, is a better tool to do that. Uh, hopefully people are watching. It's, it's not a great, uh, you know, media matchup in terms of the great media, you know, areas. you got Colorado and Tampa, which are somewhere in the – the, what, 11 to 14 market uh, range. So two small markets really, uh, in essence, uh, especially for hockey, not big enough. But um, I think the caliber of play and the caliber of players that we're seeing uh, is worth the watch. It's definitely worth the watch. Roger? Well, I, was, I think as far as marketing goes, Roy, uh, the NHL is getting a, a real uh, advantage with the NBA finals all over. Because usually, uh, as my recall, they would uh, still be going on when the Stanley Cup Finals would be over. So I think this is a great opportunity uh, for people 
uh, if they don't want to watch baseball to watch some uh, really great hockey. No, I totally agree with you there. Yeah, they, they've got an advantage here in the fact that they're, uh, you know, pretty kind of kind of the only game in town right now. I mean, Wimbledon hasn't started. Uh, the, the U.S. Open is over. Um, you got baseball, obviously, but other than that, uh, hockey's kind of got, you know, they they got a little bit of a uh, of, of a monopoly here on the sports fan. It, they need to take advantage of it. Seven game series would help. Right. Roy, before we uh, move, we got so many things going on. Uh, how about in Tampa? What was the reaction to? Gronkowski saying this is it. Uh, we saw we saw Brady do it earlier, and then come back. But he said definitely he's not going to come back. He's not going to play, regardless of whether Tom calls him or not. Uh, what was the reaction in Tampa? I think the reaction was uh, not, not 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 a lot of great surprise with that. I think people kind of expected it since it had been so long. Look, he didn't show up obviously at the mini camps. Uh, didn't show up at the mandatory camp. Um, I think everybody pretty much was uh, thinking that he was probably going to walk away this time and stay away. And uh, there was a little bit of hope, obviously, that he would come back. And, you know, I, I, But for the most part, I think it, it's kind of the way it should be. It, it, people are just happy that they had the opportunity to, to watch him here play for a couple of years and, and that uh, so appreciative of the fact that he played such an integral uh, role in bringing the um, – bringing the, the Super Bowl, uh, the Lombardi Trophy, back to Tampa. So I think people really appreciate the fact that they uh, had a chance to uh, to witness it firsthand, to witness the, the greatness that was uh, Rob Gronkowski and and to see, true again, true dominance at the position. I mean, I, I'm not sure there's been a better tight end in the history of the game. Uh, he, he's just an, a, a marvel in terms of his athleticism and everything else. And uh, uh, the team's going to miss him, you know. A couple of years ago, there was always a lot of talk about, well, what are you going to do with all these tight ends? So it was talk about trading Cameron Braid or trading O.J. Howard. Well, all of a sudden, they don't have uh, they don't have uh, O.J. Howard and they don't have Rob Gronkowski anymore, and they look a little thin at that position. They drafted a couple of guys, but in the middle and late round, um, I think they're already looking at uh, waiver wires and certainly trying to uh, predict who's going to get let go from other teams during training camp and. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they uh, dangle a, uh, an early round pick, a third or a fourth or something like that, for somebody who's on a roster right now and can play the game because um, they're, they're thin in a position that Tom Brady leans on a lot. Roger, you're up. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, since we're, we're, we're in the NFL, uh, we'll talk to Doug Hamilton later in Baltimore, uh, in the Baltimore area, but uh, Tony Saraguso, uh, was found uh, dead in his bed this morning at 55, and a real personality, uh, a really good defensive tackle, was on that Super Bowl team for the Ravens. Obviously, uh, was with uh, Fox for a number of years. Uh, and I'll tell you, Don, I had no idea that he lived over not that far from you in New Jersey at Ortley Beach. And uh, I, I knew I didn't know it either. Yeah, and and I I knew that he went to Pitt, but I did not know that he went to I think it was Kenilworth High School, which I was what that's up there around Union Kenilworth, and uh, but and then they also uh, the name escapes me twenty six years old. So this was a bad day, sad day I should say for uh, uh, the Ravens. But uh, Roy, you got to see Tony Siragusa many times, obviously, and. Uh, a real uh, a character in in uh, many ways, wasn't he? 
Yeah, he was one of those guys that uh, as a player and as a uh, analyst or if you want to call him a sideline reporter, he was just great for the game. And, uh, you know, obviously he, he kind of defined the position of, of the nose tackle in a 3-4 scheme uh, back in his day. He was he was as good as there was in, in that position. And uh, uh, what I loved about him was when he when he stopped playing and he went, into, went on to the sidelines as a reporter there, he brought that personality with him. I, I mm-hmm. wish more guys would do that. I think he, I think he was the first to really show that, hey, you can be yourself out here. There's a job to be done, and there's an, you know, there's analysis that that has to be done, um, and we're looking for, you know, inside scoop and inside, uh, you know, revelations here. But at the end of the day, be yourself and, and bring that, uh, bring that, uh, that that energy and and that unique uh, characteristic that uh, makes you you. Bring that to the you know, to the broadcast. And I won't be surprised if we see um, Rob Gronkowski do the same thing. You know, he's that got that be. kind of a, uh, of kind of a, a loose free spirited personality. And I think it'd be great for TV. Uh, but Tony Siragusa was, um, he was, his, he was an exceptional player and uh, he was an exceptional analyst as well. And uh, the, the game misses him. There's no doubt he will be missed. Um, we've missed him the last few years as he's not been yeah. doing the games and, uh, he's, he's a guy that, uh, like I said, he, he was great for the game of football. And to be honest with you guys, I, I think there's a place in the Hall of Fame for him. And now there's a new face on TV. Fitzpatrick has uh, gotten himself a job as a frontline analyst. Uh, so that should be interesting, too. Uh, he played for so many different teams and was such an integral part of uh, a number of seasons when a quarterback got hurt and he stepped in. How do you think he'll do as an analyst? Well, having uh, worked alongside him or, or covered him, I should say, uh, for two or three years, uh, I think he'll be exceptional. His wealth of knowledge is beyond that of a lot of quarterbacks, um, just because of, again, all, this, all you know, the fact that he played for so many years, came in in so many different situations, was a starter, was a backup, uh, played in big games, played in games that didn't matter. I mean, he's done it all, and he's got a, a unique personality as well, and I hope he brings it out. I think he will. Um, incredibly smart guy. Um, he'll blow guy. you away when it when it comes to yeah his his, his uh, you know his intellect is um, is above what you know above the norm far above the norm and um, I'm anxious to see how he does. I, I think he'll end up quickly becoming one of the top analysts in the game uh, just because he he has a really good uh, sense of how to. How, how to convey uh, his thoughts and, and, and break the game down. I mean, he did it for us uh, media members all the time. When he was playing quarterback, uh, uh, he, he really broke things down exceptionally well, much better than a lot of quarterbacks do, believe it or not, um, you know, in press conferences uh, before and after games and uh, during the week. And so I think he's going to be really good. I think he's going to become quickly as I said, one of the better analysts in the game. I'm, I'm anxious to see how he does. I wonder if the beard comes with him. I think it has to. It's him. It's his signature. I know. Fellas, uh, maybe both of you would comment before we run out of the time in this first half hour. Uh, It looks like the commissioner of the National Football League has presented a little bit of a sham on their investigation on what's happening down in Washington or what happened down in Washington. I know Dan Snyder still is going to be called up to testify next week, so it's not over. But the commissioner's report is really being laughed at, to be honest with you. I'll let you, I'll let you jump on that first, uh, Roger. 
Well, uh, the thing that got me is that uh, the commissioner uh, said he has no authority to remove Daniel Snyder. He said he can recommend things to the owners, but what is it, three-quarters of the owners have to pass it. And, uh, and then you start wondering if Dan Snyder has the goods on some of the owners. Who knows? But uh, I just think it was a, uh, a mess. And uh, is Snyder definitely going to uh, testify? Because at first I, I heard that he rejected the, uh, the subpoena. And, but I, I guess he, maybe he got the subpoena now. But, uh, they said tonight I, I that he has to testify next week. He ha- okay. Then That's he what got they the said. Now, I'm only quoting NBC News tonight. Yeah, uh, on the on the six thirty news, they said he has to testify next week. Okay, Roy, Roy. Yeah, um, I, I think he needs to testify. Um, look, you, you're talking about a guy who's not well thought of to begin with, um, and and I think his uh, I think his reputation, legacy, whatever, uh, is is kind of on the uh, it, it's on the brink here with this. I, I think he's got to come in. He's got to testify. Look, uh, every, there's an awful lot of uh, evidence to suggest that this guy just turned the other way and, and heard about this, the, the, the harassment issues, uh, the repeated harassment issues. Yeah, and, and, he, and he looked the other way. And if it was, you know, if it was a result of, uh, you know, him being old school or, or thinking that's okay and, and being wrong in that regard, Whatever it doesn't matter. Uh, he's just he's got to come and he's got to tell the truth. He can't come and talk. Well, he can, but uh, I think he ruins his reputation. Even it's, again, it's soiled to begin with. But I think he soils it even more, and he probably uh, ends up losing the support of the owners around him if he doesn't come out and tell everything that he can about what happened there. He he didn't do he didn't protect his employees here in the proper fashion. That's evident. That's obvious. Um, I, I won't be surprised at all if we start to hear more accusations and more uh, testimony about what went on inside the building there. Um, and, and too many people look the other way. And I think it's got to be uh, it's got to be brought to a head, and it's got to be done away with in this league. Um, again, it's another black eye for the NFL. Uh, they, they tend to give themselves a lot of them, and this is just the latest. Mm-hmm. And uh, but this is an ugly one. This is a really ugly. This is an this is a bad one. And Roy, they survived. Thank you very time. much. We covered a multitude of sins here in the first half hour, as always. Great to have you with us. We'll do it again next week. Tom LeMain, our reporter down in Philadelphia, have a Pennsylvania. Great week, Roy. The man that covers Thanks, the uh, Philadelphia Flyers from start to Thanks, finish, guys. as well as other Take sports care. in Philadelphia. Tom's ready to go. Tom, first of all, uh, were you as disappointed in the way the presentation of the new coach was made as Roger was at the opening of the show, or did you think it was okay? I think it was okay. Um, I don't know what was disappointing. Uh, they had an the opportunity, bro- Tom. That was all, and uh, to make a big deal out of it. And he was—it was on Zoom, wasn't it? And what I said to oh, Don, Don was—was—wasn't it on Zoom? You know, that's uh, to me. Um, you know, that didn't make up. Oh, uh, we, we got we got a bad line again. Uh, uh, Roger, you better give uh, Tommy a call. Okay, Tom, I'm going to give you a call. I can hear, oh, wait, wait, hold on. Can you hear me now? Am I on or what? He's on. He's can a, you hear me? Yeah, you're on, Tom. I, oh, yeah, okay. 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 Uh, uh, but, no, the, what I was saying is, Tom, look at uh, the uh, announcement that came out rel- almost, what, at the same time about Zach Hill's retirement. 
And uh, I just thought that they had an opportunity. They could have waited till Monday. The Phillies are off. And they were, and Al Morgani uh, expressed this, uh, you know, and so did some of the other uh, people on the morning show about it. They, they had an opportunity to make this a big, a big event, and they didn't. Well, I, Raj, I think uh, what happened is, uh, is more important than how it happened. Uh, you know, uh, the hiring as the you know, National Hockey League coaching merry-go-round continues. I just think, uh, you know, Paul Maurice leaves Winnipeg and goes to Florida. And he replaces a guy who who was a candidate for the Jack Adams trophy. You know, what have you done for me lately? Uh, the, the Rangers coach, what he did in, uh, in his first couple of teams that he managed, uh, you know, you wonder why these guys bounce from team to team. And I would imagine, you know, the easiest uh, explanation is why John Tortorella bounces from team to team. His approach, his hard nose, uh, get on your tail or get off my team approach to uh, hockey, um, I guess that kind of wears thin. I mean, it, as long as it's successful, God knows it has been successful. I mean, you know, the way he won the Cup and the way he's been a very successful coach in his career. Uh, but getting back to your point, to me, uh, uh, the fact that the fact that he was hired uh, certainly uh, outweighs anything in the way it was announced. And, uh, but speaking of Zach Hill, you know, not only not only are those tough shoes to fill, I don't know if they'll ever be able to fill those shoes. I mean, Zach Hill, I remember him when he was uh, in that position with the 76ers. I and do, too. Accident. And uh, yeah. he's, always been, he's always been that way. I mean, he had the same demeanor all the time, no matter how many bad things were going wrong or whether everything was going right. Um, you know, I'm really fortunate to have you know, Zach Hill as a friend in addition to, you know, a business colleague. But, um, you know, I, I, the big news is that they, they hired uh, Tortorella. I was surprised. I thought there was word that, they, um, that Barry Trotz turned down the Flyers offer, but I am told that uh, maybe he was never offered that job. And I just... Uh, I, I would have uh, been thrilled to death if they had hired Barry Trotz. To me, he is the best uh, coach in hockey, and his record speaks for itself. But then uh, it looks like Barry, I think the Winnipeg job is almost uh, sold. I, I heard Scott O'Neill is pretty much a shoe-in for Winnipeg, and I think Barry Trotz is going to go uh, back to where he um, Back to Nashville, I think he's going to be in there. I heard he bought a home down there, so uh, I don't know. I was just going to ask you about that, Tom. What happened? This time last week, everybody was saying, well, Torch is going to be the next guy. He's uh, waiting in line now. They're they're working on a contract. And the next thing you read is, well, he's building a house in Nashville and uh, has uh, no interest in getting together with the Flyers. What happened? don't know. I really don't know. Uh, I'm not sure whether he was ever offered the job. I was told that um, that uh, Chuck Fletcher had one guy in mind the whole time, and that was John Tortorella. He felt that uh, Torch was the kind of guy that Flyers needed uh, at this stage of their development. Roger. And in many ways, you know, Tortorella is, you know. Well, I mean, uh, we were also we were also Tom t- talking about earlier about the uh, Stanley Cup uh, Finals uh, with Colorado and uh, Tampa. 
And, uh, you know, Don and I said in the past, we haven't seen Colorado that much, but boy, that is some team. And you, and you, and obviously you're closer to the situation with uh, your affiliation with the Flyers and, and, you know, in the NHL than we are. Uh, what, what do you think of this series? Well, Colorado. Well, let me put it this way. Uh, coach of Calgary Flames, Sutter, he said, you know, lots of times, and for a coach to say this, so lots of times when you, when you feel like you're, you're, uh, you're uh, going up against the Colorado Avalanche, you know, just give them the win and move on to the next game. <laughs> for a coach to say that, I thought that was pretty amazing. But Colorado, I mean, they just come wave after wave after wave. Um, the... Uh, the two best teams are playing in the final. That's the way you want to see it. Um, the odds of winning three in a row probably go against Tampa Bay, but Colorado, um, man, they just keep. You know, for them to score that many points against the best goaltender, you know, probably in the league, if not in the world, uh, for them to put those numbers up against Vasilevsky is uh, is pretty amazing. But um, they are a relentless, in your face, always moving. Charging the blue line, that team that you're ever going to see. And, uh, Tom, my observation with Roy earlier was that uh, I would be a little disappointed if I was the TV audience because I think in two of the uh, games that have been played thus far, obviously the 7 nothing game and even the 5-2 game, uh, you really had to be a hockey fan to stay in because the 7 nothing game was, was gone early. And the 5-2 game was going early as well, early in the second period. And I just don't see we're going to pick up non, as Roger said a moment ago, we don't really watch the Western Division that much to begin with. You know, we watch the Islanders, we watch the Devils, we watch the Rangers, we watch, you know, Boston. But we don't really watch the Western Division all that much. And I'm saying, how many people are going to really stick to a TV set when a game's 7 nothing? And I can't believe they are. Well, no matter if it's a Stanley Cup game or a regular season game, nobody. But to me, uh, I'm watching it because I can't believe that they scored seven goals <laughs> against the best goaltender in the league. Well, I mean, there's debate about that. I think uh, the Rangers goaltender will have something to say about that. And next year, he may well be, um, you know, the best goaltender in the league. But, you know, Don, it, it's hockey. To me, it's hockey. Uh, you know, I'd rather watch a 7 nothing hockey game and watch a 7 nothing baseball game. Let me put it that way. Uh, because hockey, at least, when the clock is running, there's always action. There's no dead time in hockey, really. Icing, you know, is about the only dead time you're going to get. <laughs> it's a, and the only time the clock stops is when somebody scores. Um, you're true, but it's true what you say to a degree, but I'm not too sure. Hockey fans, I mean, this is a Stanley Cup, Don. Anything can happen. And, you know, they lost 7 nothing, but it's still game one, and they're down one game to nothing. And, but the fact that you're getting a chance to see, uh, as you said, you don't get a chance to see the Colorado Avalanche. Well, I mean, Colorado got past a pretty good team in Calgary. You know, Calgary was up there until people saw what Colorado was all about. You, then you understood how they got through the Western Conference playoffs. They are that good a hockey team. And... Uh, that's uh, it's hockey, Don. And I don't care what the score is. I'm watching a hockey game. If it's uh, if it's if the four teams, if the four major sports are on at the same time, I'm watching hockey. Judge just hit another home run for the Yankees. It's out three-one. Rays. Roger. Wow. 
you know. Yeah, well, they, <laughs> hey, Tom, the, uh, what, what's your opinion of uh, what the, the uh, Flyers really need to turn uh, the team back? Get the, well, do you think Tort will draw the fans uh, into the uh, Wells Fargo Center where they've been uh, fading away, so to speak? Uh, and um, what is defense what they need uh, the most to turn the the uh, the team around or not? No, I think they need uh, Sean Couturier to come back. They need Ellis, who never played a game for them to play. Uh, Rasmus Rustelainen, who is out half for the rest of the season, uh, the last couple of weeks of the season anyway. Um, no, I, I really think all the parts are there. Um, I, 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 again, back to what you said about the fans, I don't think the fans would have been satisfied if anybody else but a big-name coach was named uh, to uh, head the Flyers. Uh, But, you know, the beginning of the season, Roger, I said there's about eight teams that can win the Stanley Cup. Well, as it turned out, the two best teams are in the Stanley Cup final. But I'm Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that next year it's going to be the same way. I mean, the Islanders certainly are going to be a lot better than they were last year. I thought it was unfair to fire Barry Trotz. Uh, They got off to a bad start playing their first 15 games on the road and things like that. And, of course, injuries, which you never want to say is responsible. But uh, And the Rangers, you know, coming into the playoffs, before the playoffs started, there's always one team, no matter what playoff sport you're talking about, there's only one team you say you don't want to play them. And before the playoffs started, I said the one team you don't want to play are the New York Rangers. And what they showed this year is going to be back next year. And, uh, you know, St. Louis is not going to go away. Calgary's not going to go away. Uh, the only team that really is uh, you know, fading away quickly are the Washington Capitals. And I just think that uh, it – well, let me put it this way. You know, when, when Rafa Rustelainen, who, by the way, I, one of my favorite players, I always liked him in Buffalo. I just like the personality about him. He's a, you know, he's a big, tough defenseman, takes no stuff, and is a very funny guy. But anyway – he said when he signed his contract, he could have – there was probably four or five other teams who were willing to give him basically the same money that Philadelphia gave him. But he said he thought the Flyers were very close to turning it around. And, you know, he didn't have to say that. He didn't have to sign with the Flyers. He could have signed with any other team who probably – a lot of people thought would, would have been closer to a standard Cup. Tommy, Tommy, let me interrupt for a second just to say that they're really gambling here because you're talking about two things. One, you're talking about a coach that was very successful in Tampa, won the Stanley Cup, went to two or three other teams, was not very successful, went to Columbus, a real small, if you call a small uh, market town, was very successful there, but doesn't last very long. And, uh, And on top of that, He's coming into Philadelphia. Now, the press is not the way it was 10 years ago or 5 years ago or 20 years ago. Uh, there's not that much controversy anymore between the press. But he is not a guy that gets along with the press, one, two, three. He's a guy to put his arms around people and tell them how nice they are. I, I, I love think I love this that. is I a gamble. Of, I love that part about Tortorella. Oh, well, I, I do, too. I do, too, but are they going to love it? The press. I, you know, he reminds me in some ways of Greg Popovich, you know, and I love Pop. I just, you know, he'll he'll look, he'll give you the look at, I can't believe you asked me that question. You know, and, and many times, Don, I don't know whether you experienced this or not, 
But there are many times when I'm in the locker room and my colleagues are asking questions. I'm going, oh, my God, I don't even want to be in here. Let me out of here. I'm embarrassed. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, at Tortorella, you know, one thing for sure, Don, the post-game newsies are going to be really good. And getting back to what you, said originally, what you, what you originally said, you know, he doesn't last long. However, he lasts long enough to give you a chance to win the cup. He lasts you long to uh, last long enough to win the cup, and that's it. You know, you, his style burns out quickly. I guarantee you that. And I mean, that's probably the negative aspect of John Tortorella. However, the approach he takes, even though it's a quick burnout, if it's there long enough to get the maximum amount out of the players he is coaching, that's all you want. I don't care if he lasts two years, three years. I don't care if he finishes out his contract. If he brings the Flyers to some respectability to the point where, right. as he said, we want to be a team you don't want to play. And that's what he's probably going to preach from the beginning of the first time the puck drops till the end of the season. You don't want to be a team. We want the Flyers to be a team you don't want to play. And if he builds up that mentality, in addition to that, the Flyers have a lot of players, Don, I think are on the cusp of really, I mean, young players who are on the cusp of really breaking out to a great season. And, and, and I agree with Rasmus with Salinan. I don't think, you know, I'm trying to be as objective as I possibly can, but I don't think the Flyers are that far away from respectability. And certainly I think they're real, real close to being back into the playoffs next year. I really believe that. And well, Tommy, you were real high on our goaltender two years ago, and how are you now? Is it, you think he's a, a goaltender that's going to be able to take him to the promised land? A goaltender is only good as his defense, Don. Right. And I think in many cases this year, the defense left him left him out hanging hanging high and dry. Uh, we're seeing that with uh, with the uh, playoffs and with the Stanley Cup final here. You know, you know, you can't tell me that, that all of a sudden the Tampa Bay goaltender, who is the best in the world, all of a sudden is terrible because he let in seven goals. Hey, you know, when you have a wave that comes at you like the Colorado Avalanche does, you know, what a, what a, a very poignant name for their nickname for Colorado. They come at you like an avalanche. And, yeah, know, but Tommy, Vasilevsky was, Vasilevsky's been shaky on and off. He gave up five goals in the first game. He gave up six goals. He, he's, he's, uh, as, the, as the series have gone along, He's been much better until the one we're just talking about now where they gave up seven goals. But, how come, but how come he he's been either outstanding or he's been shaky. Yeah, but you're talking about this series only, Don. He was pretty good coming up to the season, I mean, to the series. You know, I think, you know, what is did Colorado make him look bad? Yeah, I think Colorado's that good that they would make the best goalie in the league, goalie in the league look bad. They're that good, Don, and I think uh, – you know, you know, Vasilevsky got Tampa Bay to the finals the way, you know, he played during the year. Um, and I just still think he's the best goalie in the league, although I think the uh, Rangers goalie is right behind him in that regard. And I think you, you, you're just taking a microcosm of his play in this final series, Don, which I said you know, Colorado will make any goalie look bad the way they play. Roger? Well, you know, I was going to say I agree with you, uh, Tom, about defense and, and the goalie. The, uh, I, I would relate that to baseball and the Phillies and their bullpen. If you don't have a good, stable bullpen, you ain't going much 
going very far, really. And, uh, I mean, today they, they held up pretty well. But, uh, uh, you know, what do you think? Uh, was that just a, a quick uh, microcosm that we saw when they uh, went on to that winning streak and uh, now they've lost three in a row? Uh, are they a team that probably in all likelihood will not make the playoffs or not? Well, two things you mentioned, uh, Roger, that, uh, the bullpen and defense. Defense. Yeah, defense. The Phillies, yeah. The Phillies, Phillies, the Phillies don't have defense. They right. are the worst defensive team. They are the worst uh, structurally fundamental team that I've seen play baseball in a long time. Stupid brain-thinking, uh, brain-freezing uh, uh, decisions that they make on the field, throwing to the wrong base, throwing to the wrong cutoff guy. Uh, making mistakes that I just don't think little leaguers would make at times, that you're taught in little league not to do. And, uh, you know, even though you've got a heavy-hitting uh, lineup there, you know, when you have a defense that blows, they blew the game today, uh, defensively, right. I thought, and then all of a sudden, okay, now the bullpen is giving you a really good shot to win games over the last couple of games, but their defense let them down and their hitting has gone south. They're getting back to their old habits as far as hitting goes. They're swinging at terrible pitches. They're not taking their, – their, their approach in the batter's box is back to where it was when they were losing as opposed to the way it was when they were winning. Now, to answer your question, what do you think is coming back? Is it, is it the team that won all 11 in a row or the team that lost 10 in a row? Uh, yeah. I just think that if – and they uh, – you know, I don't know what you, you – one thing you can do, Don – and some of these guys maybe were too old for this, but one thing you can teach is defense. Right. So you can't, you know, and, and I, I just, I'm just beside myself when I see some of the, you know, the, the, the brain farting decisions that they make on the field and it costs them to lose games. And if they don't come back and score nine runs because their defense let in seven, they're going to lose the game. And I said a long time ago, I remember what I said a long time ago, I said, Hey, there's going to be a lot of nine eight games, but once in a while there's going to be a ten nothing game because everything right. came together in that ten nothing game. Pitching and hitting, but then following up two days later with another ten nothing game. <laughs> well, they had their best pitcher on the mound today in Wheeler, no question about that. And they got gave they 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 killed them. They gave two unearned runs right off the bat, so they they go up two they go up two nothing. And uh, he has to throw 85 pitches in, what, five and uh, third innings, uh, 86 pitches, something like that. But he's fighting from uh, – now, he didn't have his best stuff, I grant that. Uh, Schwarber did hit another home run. He's got eight for the month, which ties him with about six other guys for the most well, home runs. You know, this Dan, month. I really don't care how many pitches the guy throws. You know, the other day, you know, their best pitcher, I think, is still number 27. And why wouldn't you let him pitch the ninth inning? I've always said if the guy on the mound at the time is better than anybody you have in the bullpen, leave the guy on the mound out there. I don't care if you throw 110, 150, 120. You know, this is the anniversary of a game in which, uh, who was it that pitched 245 pitches? He pitched a 17-inning game. And, you know, and it's, you know of course, those days will never come back. I hope they do, but they never will probably. But you know, I don't. You know, I don't. The pitch count is the worst thing to happen in baseball. Absolutely, the worst thing because from now back to college and maybe now into high school, 
you got pitchers looking over their shoulder not to see if somebody else is warming up in the bullpen ready to take their place. He's looking over the shoulder to see how many pitches, pitches he's thrown. And, right. you know, that, 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 that scoreboard that shows the pitch count, I would like to blow it up. I mean, I don't want anybody to know how many pitches the guy threw. I want him to know how he is pitching. And if he's looking over his shoulder and he goes, oh, well, I'm coming out after 85 pitches, don't you think that that's changing his approach to how he's pitching? You know, instead well, of pitching well, the, way he's, the way he started the game, He's starting to change the way he's throwing or pitching because he knows he's at 85 or 90 pitches and he's going to come out anyway. To me, that's a psychological disadvantage that pitchers have today, and it's terrible because they could probably go nine, ten innings if they didn't have that mentality or if they didn't have that over-their-shoulder look, oh, my God, I'm up to 85 pitches. Coach, you know, I don't know who's warming up. It doesn't matter who's warming up. Somebody's going to start warming up no matter how good I'm doing. Somebody's going to start warming up when I'm close to 85 or 90 pitches. And that's, that's a shame. That really is a shame. Well, we remember Harvey Haddock pitching a 12-inning perfect game, right? Or no-hitter. Exactly. Remember that? Well, you know? well they, were, they, were, they were bred to do that. Today's pitchers, right. you know, and it goes all Like I said, it may even go to high school now. But definitely in college, pitch count has permeated its way through baseball, and it's not good. Not good at all. Well, you, you fellows watch a lot of baseball, as I do. And last night on the Mets game uh, against the Astros, uh, uh, they lost last night. They lost again today, 5-3. to three. But they talked about uh, Nolan Ryan. He threw 237 pitches. The anniversary of, mm-hmm. I think it was 40 <laughs> years, was there, either yesterday or the day before. 200. I mean, can you imagine well, these guys can't throw 80? Well, let me put it this way. Nolan Ryan, nobody. Nobody has thrown more pitches in baseball, and nobody no. will. And you know what, Don? He never had arm trouble. He was hardly ever on the DL. And he, when you throw seven no-hitters, first of all, when you throw a no-hitter, you're probably throwing a lot of pitches. But for him to throw a no-hitter at 45 years of age, my, and, you know, Harry Callis once asked me in a, well, during a rainout at the, at the, ball, at the Phillies ballpark, uh, hey, Tom, who's your favorite player? I said, Nolan Ryan. Really? Really? Harry said, yeah. Well, we'll hold it right on that, Tommy. Uh, Chris Wheeler's ready to go. He can talk about a lot of those games in Houston, Texas, between the Phillies and those Houston Astros. I'll tell you that. But thank you very much for joining us, talking about the Have Flyers. A, take care, and what's Tom. happening with their ball club. Thank, thank you. You got it. Thanks, guys, Tom. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Tom. Take care. Chris, nice to have you with us. And you heard the end of the conversation. I think we were talking about Nolan Ryan's anniversary of throwing 227 pitches. I mean, you, you can't even believe it. You can't in your wildest dreams. You can't believe somebody could do something like that. What was that in three starts? <laughs> <laughs> it before today. Yeah. No, he was a he. He, you know, obviously different times, but that man was a freak of nature. He just, you know, you, you've been around him. He's big shoulders and, and, you know, just had this unbelievable competitive nature to him. And, you know, it was every time Nolan Ryan went out there, he was out there to not only beat you, but, you know, maybe not give up a hit or, or pitch a shutout or those kind of things. So he, he was different. Yeah. It's so lucky that we were to watch him pitch so many games and the Phillies actually had pretty good luck against him Very with good. that playoff game you're mentioning, you know, where they're down by, 
what, three runs in the eighth inning in the final game and then the fifth game of the series, and they beat him? I mean, that's, that to me is still something that I can't believe I saw it. Chris Wheeler, our special guest, he was with the Philadelphia Phillies for, what, Chris, over 40 years, right? 40, 40-something years. Well, believe it or not, Don, I started in 71. I'm still kind of hanging around him, so it's over 50, but I was a broadcaster <laughs> for 37. <laughs> I'll let so you. You, you, you got to see a lot of it, and uh, we saw the Phillies sort of come back, put together a little bit of run after Joe Girardi was let go and, and Thompson came in. Uh, some of your thoughts on the end of Girardi, the beginning of Thompson, and where we are right now that they've lost three straight. Such a hard team to figure out. Uh, um, you know, Rob Thompson's a good baseball man, and I'm sure you've met him and know him, and I know him, and he's a good man. Uh, but a lot of things came together at that time when the softer got a lot, uh, the season got a lot uh, softer as far as the schedule goes, and uh, mm-hmm. Harper got unbelievably hot, and so did Schwarber. So a bunch of things happened. Um, the bullpen, they managed to pitch around it, even though it's it still, you know, blue leads, and then they come back and win anyway. But, uh, you know, they, they're they just an, uh, an inconsistent hitting team. Castellanos is the biggest disappointment for me because this guy can really hit, and he's, he's an out right now or a double play machine, and it's unfortunate because you keep thinking – that he's going to hit. Their defense is still shaky. Their bullpen is still very, very shaky. So, uh, you know, it's a team that got five games over 500, and that pass just dropped back to two games over 500 with a four-game series in San Diego coming up. Um, They had a chance to to pick up some games on the Braves, which were more important than the Mets, because I think the Mets are, you know, the Mets are, the Mets lose the division. It's not going to be the Phillies. It's going to be to Atlanta. And, uh, you know, they fell backwards again. So it's just unfortunate. Roger, you have yeah, a pet peeve with the Phillies right now. See what uh, Wheels thinks about that. Well, you know, Chris, uh, we've talked about it a lot, and there's a lot you hear on uh, talk radio. Uh, and I and I agree. I thought it was a mistake to give Rianuto uh, that longer-term contract. And uh, I think that a catcher uh, really, uh, because of the work, and you know what it's like, I mean, you know, they they lose it. And just from yep. wear and tear. And I think that's what's happened to him. And I don't know if, if he will uh, be able to recover. There's not many guys like Molina, you know, that are uh, older and, and still uh, producing at that position. Uh, do you agree with me about uh, Rianuto? Yeah, I didn't bring him up, uh, and I figured we'd get to that sooner or later. Yeah, it can be. I, there's no doubt about it that a catcher beats a, beats a, gets beaten up so much. But he just looks so lost offensively. He's always trying to mm-hmm. change his swing. He, leg kicks, no leg kicks, spread out. You know, he has that look in his eye of a guy that, what the bleep am I doing right now? And, right. you know, there's nothing harder in sports than hit a baseball. I don't care what anybody says because there's nothing harder than mm-hmm. that. And he's lost right now. Um, and he's a guy that has had success. Now, you talk about the, the contract, Roger, and I know where you're going with that and what you mean. Uh, I think we have to go back and understand at the time the Phillies were a team that desperately needed to get some name recognition players into the organization to sell tickets and to try and make some things happen. Um, I agree. And Real Muto was a guy that uh, they, they they got in the deal, which is the player that, you know, players have not come back to haunt them in that deal. But 
when the when the negotiation came up for the long term deal, they were under tremendous pressure um, from the fans, from the media, mm-hmm. from some of the from some of the guys <laughs> that play that are on the team. Right. Um, <laughs> so you know, it's it's always easy. You know, I, you know, having been on the inside as long as I was for so long, it's always easy to look at it from the outside and say, why would you do that? Well, there's a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons that that, that those things happen. And when they when it doesn't work out, it doesn't look too good. Well, you know, the Braves were a perfect example because uh, they were not going to give Freddie Freeman that six year, and the Dodgers did. And uh, and you're right. right. I think the Braves are on the right track, and and I think that I think the Braves will pass the Mets. Now, Mr. Henderson and Mr. Carroll totally disagree with me, but that's my <laughs> opinion. <laughs> Well, let me, let me throw a hypothetical in there. Roger, uh, it's all a matter defense. of intelligence. Listen, Don <laughs> and, and Roger and, and Frank, if uh, if uh, Jacob DeGrom and Scherzer wind up in their rotation, Mets are really going to be uh, just fine. Yeah. <laughs> and Scherzer's coming back. He pitched, he pitched three to third uh, last yesterday, and uh, they expect to be back in, uh, in the rotation the next time around. So he's going to be back well, very quickly. DeGrom they, they pitched might, in Florida, they might be a pitched better Florida team. yesterday. Yeah, they might be a little better team with those two back. Oh, why will they ever? <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with that. You know, you know what, Chris? I've said this many times. Where, where I think the Phillies made a mistake, uh, I, I can't stand Kabler, okay? I, can't, I just can't stand him. I haven't liked him from his first press conference. But I wish that Dusty Watham had gotten that job at that time. You know, with those mm-hmm. younger players that he had at Lehigh mm-hmm. Valley and in the system. And, I mean, he, he, I think he's a great baseball man. His father was a great baseball man. And I hope that he does uh, get a job. I don't know if it will be with the Phillies as a manager or not. But I just think that uh, – and, and I look at Brian Snicker – and I, I look at the, the Braves brought him up from AAA, and uh, after what was it, forty over forty years in the system, yeah. and look at what he's done. And I think Dusty Watham could have done a similar job. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing. I, I can't answer that because the Braves have better players than the Phillies. But Dusty Watham is a guy. Uh, Dusty Watham is a guy that I. Um, I am lucky enough to know, and I've been around him quite a bit over the years, and I think the world of him, and I don't doubt that he should get a chance to manage a major league team someday. Now, one thing you just made, a point you made about uh, them not signing Freddie Freeman, hey, don't forget they got Greg Olson in the deal right after that. It made it a lot easier to let Freeman go. Oh, there's no doubt, yeah. yeah. But that was a smart move, you know, that they were able Absolutely. to get him, too. And look right, at the but, numbers I mean, right now, some... Roger. You look at the numbers right now. You know, uh, uh, you know, Friedman's hitting uh, what a right, right around three hundred uh, with the home run uh, numbers that he's got on the board. I don't have Olson's numbers right in front of me, but I think he's got like ten or eleven home runs right now. He had another one yesterday, uh, and uh, he, he's what five, four or five years younger. So I, I think the yep. Braves made out a hundred percent on that trade. Uh, Wheels, maybe you disagree, but I. I would have taken that deal from Atlanta's standpoint any time. No, that's why I brought it up because, you know, it's a lot easier to make a move when you've got another move ready to make after that. 
and they had this Olsen thing ready to go. So they're basically going to uh, tell Freeman, no, we're not going to go with that, um, with what you want. But in the in the but they got in their back pocket to make a deal for the, maybe the best first baseman in the American League to come over, because you also also have to understand how many runs he saves. This guy can really play first base too. Right. And right. they've got Austin Riley at third, who is fantastic. And uh, if he doesn't get hurt, uh, he's going to be there a long time. And I mean, and a class act. I mean, the kind of guy you want to. Uh, build around and you can use, uh, to, you know, to promote the team. Just he's tremendous, well player in person. Yeah, and don't forget that they, this this guy just came off the disabled list about three weeks ago, and he's not too bad either, as Ronald Acuna. Right. <laughs> no. Well, they got not too talent. bad at all. <laughs> well, well, you know, the, you know, the Braves Don- are really the Braves are a little bit like the Yankees. They're the best of, of both sides. They can hit home runs. They can. Uh, run the bases. They can play great defense. Uh, they can do a lot of good things, and and uh, no question about it that uh, they've got. A, and I agree with the writers. They got a really outstanding team, but they got off to such a shaky start. They got so far behind. Uh, I mean, last night uh, the Mets lost, the Phillies lost, and the Braves all lost. Today the Phillies lost already, and the Mets lost already. The Braves are playing tonight, and they go into today uh, what eight games back. Uh, I forget how many of the lost column. Uh, I agree with Wheels. When you bring the pitchers back that the Mets are going to bring back, I mean, I just don't see any way that the Mets uh, and Buck Showall, the way he's uh, managing that club, is, is going to lose. I, I just don't. I can't imagine it happening. Yet. It can. We saw. We saw Gene Mock do it. Then we. <laughs> then we Wheels. You know. Yeah. And, you know. One. One guy. One guy. We're not giving a lot of credit to him. He can't go over everybody on every team. But all of a sudden, Francisco Lindor learned how to be the uh, great, great player that he was in the American League. He had a tough first year playing in New York, and that could happen. This guy is uh, really good. And, and, you know, they got Godzilla in the middle of their lineup, too, with that guy at first base. So they're, they're, they're and, you know, the guys that wear you out, they, McNeil and, and Nimmo and those guys, they're, they're not a team that just hits home runs and beats you. They make contact, they catch the ball. I mean, I'm the last guy in the world that wants to sit here and talk about the Mets and how good they are, but they're good. They're not good. They're better than good. Heyman had a great piece in the New York Post yesterday, uh, and and I'll go back and and talk to you about it. Uh, They stand 18th in the major leagues in home runs. Talk about the Mets. They stand 18th in home runs. They have 64. Now, they did hit – uh, they hit, hit another one last night. I don't know if they hit any today, but this is two days ago. And yet, they're first in scoring runs, and they mm-hmm. have 348, right as of right now, runs scored, most in the league. Yep. I yep. mean, you know, and they're playing, they're playing Don Henderson baseball. They're not playing. Show me the elevation of your bat level. Tell me how fast the ball's going out of the ballpark. I don't want to hear it all that stuff. All I want to hear is how many guys do they get on base, how many people do they move, how many runs do they score, and how many games do they win. Forget all That's this it. other they make stuff. A lot of, <laughs> yeah, make a lot of contact. Uh, you know, when they make it. a lot of contact, good things going to – if I hear one more person make a line, like an out is an out is just – a strikeout is just an out, that is such baloney and oh. malarkey and oh. crap and everything else. And they put the it ball is. in play and they don't strike out a lot. That's exactly right. Absolutely. And that's the way you play the game. 
and they well, you steal know, bases, they, and, they, and they and they throw to the right base, and they hit the cutoff man, and they do all the things that Buck Showar wants them to do that they started with in a, even a very limited spring training. You knew that they were going to be a team that was going to execute because they had that guy. And, and Canada, the guy they got, uh, I mean, he's hit 300. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, can we go on to another subject? I'm sick about saying the Mets are so good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, Don talked about the Yankees in uh, Tampa Bay. That I'll talk about Tampa Bay. They're amazing, that organization, where they don't draw a lot of fans, but they're a tremendous organization, and the, they, they make yeah. deals, and they get rid of players, ban- but they got more players coming up. And they're really banged up right now, Roger. They have 30, so they've got 30-some people on the injured list right now. 30 it's some. amazing. It's awful, because being I'm still here uh, and in Florida. In fact, I'm going to go – Oh, buddy, Frank Kopenbarger's coming down, the former uh, director of travel for the Phillies and equipment and all that. He's now retired. He has a great place guy. Down here in Ado- Ado- yeah, he's a great guy. Children like I did. I really respect great. him. Guy. He's coming down t- tonight, and he and I are going to go see the Rays and the, and the uh, Pirates tomorrow night. So I'm looking forward to going down to Tropicana Field and seeing the ball game. But they are. Well, the, the Rays are up they, right they, now, 4 to 1. They had those two home runs in the first inning. We also yeah. give them a 3 nothing lead. And. Uh, and uh, the judge hit one in the no man's land. I'll tell you, he, he yeah. he's going to arbitration today. I guess he went to arbitration today, uh, and uh, so it's a difference of what twenty one million and eighteen million. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what Cashman decides to do. Whether you know, because uh, you talked about uh, uh, some of the other players in that age bracket, and Judge is having a fantastic year, but he's still going to be 29 years old. You give him a five, six-year contract, maybe like the guy that left St. Louis that went to Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pujols. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, Aaron, Pujols, uh, yeah. Judge, is just, uh, Judge is just one of those special players. Hey, the Yankees, <laughs> the Yankees, on the other hand, are a, are a home run hitting team with great, great starting <laughs> pitching and a tremendous bullpen. So, right. I mean, they are definitely a force. And I know you agree and Roger agrees with me that you're both that we're all very, very happy for Aaron Boone because we've known him since he was a little kid, and he's one of the good people in the game, good, one of the good people, period. And for him to have success in that market and do the things that he can do, I love the guy. I always have. Yeah, well, because I'll, I'll he took a lot of heat last either. year, the year before, uh, when they came down to the wire and then when they lost to the playoffs to the one game. Uh, you know, and, and uh, was Cashman going to re-sign him and what was going to happen? And they waited till the last minute uh uh, there was a lot of controversy there, Wheels. Yep. But, uh, you know, like I said, you guys know him very well since he was a little kid. And he's he's just a good, good man. And uh, I'm very happy for him because it's not easy to manage in New York. And to manage a New York Yankee, first time I saw him, uh, after he got the job, he, they came over to Clearwater. I went down and I tapped him on the shoulder. He looked down at me and I said, you believe you're managing the New York Yankees, and I can't give you the exact <laughs> words that he said, but he 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 basically agreed. Like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so he, he, he's just is this that know, is this that still uh, work he, for the Washington team? No, no, he he left there because he wouldn't get vaccinated. That's right. Yeah. You know, Booney can be a little stubborn. 
Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yes he can. <laughs> well, yes, well, you know, when you talk about Aaron and and the the group of uh, the kids, Petey Rose Jr., uh, you know, in in that group back in the early '80s, you know, it, it was like unbelievable. They were all to, all together. The Bro- the Boone kids, uh, Petey Rose or Pete Rose Jr. Really, and Brent, you Brent know, there, Brent there used to go out and take you know, catch balls off the bat better than some of the outfielders we had. I mean, they, they could run the spots and they were just, they were just two little kids and yeah. tug, tug would hit them things, hit them pop ups and they catch them behind their back. I mean, we used to look at them and think, I don't know. I mean, if they're not going to be major league players, I can't believe it because they were so good <laughs> yeah. when they were little kids, both Brett and Aaron. Well, I, I was at uh, Chickie and Pete's when uh, Aaron Boone was there doing the bull session with Banning uh, Greg Luzinski, and uh, yeah. it was it was great because Ryan was there and he was all part yeah. of that group, you know, sure. uh, as a kid. And uh, I, I mean, that was just a special time. I mean, it, it was you, you'll never be will never be duplicated. My well, we're finally going to be able to do the. Um... You know the 1980 reunion, obviously for for that for that team, was not able to be done because of COVID. And then last year they couldn't right. put it together, so they're finally going to do it this year. And I personally am very very excited about that weekend in August and being able to get down. When people say to me, "What was your your favorite team?" They think you're going to have to have to step and think about it. Well, it's easy for me. It was the '80 club because we're all around the same age, had lost three out of four, you know, three years in the playoffs and finally, you know, got over the hump. So the right. 80 team is still, is still the team because, uh, and, and thankfully most of the guys are alive, the coaching staff and manager, of course, you know, Dallas has gone and the coaching staff's taken a hit over the years, but most of the players are alive. So it's yeah, really, third base a really, really fun too. time. What's that? Yeah. Third uh, base coach ahead. is gone too. Yeah. Well, Lee Ely is still no. Lee Ely is still here. Oh, he's still right. with us. Yeah. Lee, Lee's planning on coming up. Uh, he lives in. He lives here. I see him once in a while. He lives here in Clearwater. So yeah, he's he's planning on coming up. And I talked to Tim McCarver recently, and he's planning on on coming uh, up from Sarasota too. So it should be a great time. Uh, let me ask you this: a lot of people listening to the program, not just uh, in the areas that we're in, but uh, all around the country. Uh, DeVaron, one of the great, really, sports information <laughs> guys in the history of baseball. Uh, I talk to him every once in a while. Uh, uh, how's he doing, and is he going to be able to participate in this? I don't know, Don. You know, yes, uh, Larry Shanker talking about who, as he yeah. says, the biggest mistake he ever made in his career was when he hired me as, as, as his assistant. <laughs> 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 you know him with that. He, he can really get on you, you know. Um, I, I, he has a lot of problems uh, right now walking, uh, and, and his mobility is limited. Uh, his mind is just as sharp and funny as he always was, and he's a great – he writes a lot, and, and I talk to him quite a bit. And, but I don't know. I haven't talked to him recently to the thing about whether he would be able to be there. I know if there's any way he could be there, he'll be there. Yeah, because, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, too, because he helped us uh, – we were talking about the creation of the uh, of the fan of the uh, uh, fanatic, and uh, he was talking mm-hmm. about uh, uh, you know how it all came about and how really yeah. really wasn't too much in favor of having a fanatic, and uh, they had to do a lot of work to talk him into it. Uh, but uh, that's we, an we understatement. Were, 
<laughs> you should have, you well, should have he said seen he that had night trouble when, getting out of a chair, you know, uh, when well, he's Phil, watching a game. That's what yeah, he was he also Phil, Phil Giles, with that fanatic thing, had a had a pile of green feathers sitting in his office that he had paid like seven <laughs> grand for. And you laugh now. That was a lot of money back then. Oh, and he yeah, had to somehow absolutely. go tell R- Ruley Carpenter that he just spent seven to ten grand on a pile of feathers. So, you know, he, to, to Bill's credit, they thought about David Raymond at the time, and David Raymond made that costume live, and the rest is it. Oh, he, he did the job. He His father, of course, for people listening, father was a coach at Delaware. He went to Delaware, and he was the first Philly fanatic, and he really created the whole the whole package. And uh, a terrific, terrific guy, and uh, terrific within the costume itself. Uh, just uh, really <laughs> unbelievable. And Donnie's developing other uh, characters now. You know, I just wanted to say one thing. I read about it today. The Phillies are going to honor the first African-American player, John Kennedy, who only had a very short tenure back in the uh, 60s or 50s, I guess. And uh, But uh, I remember it well. It was Chico Fernandez and John Kennedy. Uh, and uh, I think that that is where he's since passed away, but his daughter is elated in, her, in the story that I read. And uh, so it's good that uh, that young man, uh, you know, is, as a young man is going to be honored. Well, the Phillies uh, have a very, very, had a very, very poor history in, in that area. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, Jack, when Jackie breaks in in 48, and then I think John Kennedy's year was 57. So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. – way too long but you know that's another whole that's another whole subject but it the Phillies history is much better obviously you know as time went along but at that time it was pretty bleak well have you read the story have you read the book uh, uh the Timmy McCarver and, and Steve Carlton I, I we did an interview or I should say we did I did an interview uh with the author from uh a couple of nights ago Monday night uh very interesting uh, a book uh how uh Steve Carlton and uh Tim McCarver got together, and how many games they actually caught and pitched together and won. Uh, have you have you seen the book at all, Wheels? Or I, I have the I have it. The last time I was down to see Timmy about three weeks ago in Sarasota, he had a box a box of those books sitting on a on a table, and he had one out for me that he had signed, and he gave it to me. So I'm very honored to have it, and I'm going to read it. Great, yeah. I'll tell you, it's a fun book, and. Uh, a lot of stories everybody will remember between uh, you know, the two of them. <laughs> and my first question to him was when I when I had the interview go, I said, well, how much cooperation did you get from Steve? <laughs> and he said he walked in the room, turned around, and left. That was it. <laughs> what could I add to that? <laughs> it's it's in the book. You'll get you'll get a kick out of it. I'll tell you, it's. Uh, uh, a lot of great, a lot of great things and remembrances uh, <laughs> that we all have of what happened in those days. I uh, well, Don, you, was, you, uh, you live in Sarasota, and you know, six months of the year, I'm surprised you and uh, Tim don't get together. We do. We've done uh, oh, do a bunch you? of shows oh, okay. together. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay. Oh yeah, we've done a bunch of shows together. In fact, last time I talked to him was on his birthday. Foxy was uh, was one of the Fox broadcasts on Saturday, and he was doing a. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he was having a, a birthday uh, uh, party. Uh, that's the last day I actually talked to him. I didn't get a chance because of my problems this winter. I well, didn't that, have a chance yeah, to get right. together with him. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would have thought that he would want to get together and pick up the dinner tab. That's all. You know? 
<laughs> oh, I just send the money. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> It's like getting involved like with wheels. You know, wheels is the only guy I know that you watched it there fifty times and he hadn't picked up the check yet. <laughs> oh, here we go. Whoa. I know. Well, I know. Now, you get Mr. involved Henderson, with dinner I, with Timmy. It's fine dining. You're not, you're not going to Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> well, wine cut a store now. So you uh, be careful. Yeah. What's that? I just want to, you know, to uh, interrupt with the uh, words of Billy Warndell that uh, Don has deep pockets and alligator hands. <laughs> <laughs> you got some you know, course, in there. You know, you know I, Wheels, I, let, me, I let me just say one thing. We, you know, I, I kid about it all the time, and, and people don't believe it. But, you know, all the guys we, you know, Harry and Andy and Whitey and you – all the people we worked with, I mean, we had fun. I mean, it was great. It was, you couldn't – Larry Shank, as you just really? said a minute ago, everybody that we worked with, it was fun. Every day you, you couldn't wait to go to work. You're and, right. But I, I, you know, I really have a tough time. I was sitting here tonight, and maybe you'll make an observation on this. I, I, to me, watching the Phillies, now they do take an awfully long time. They play three hours and a half, three hours and four. I mean, I can't make it. I, I fall asleep. <laughs> you know what? I've always been one of those people that say I'm not going to rip rip a, a business that they gave me my life. But with your first point, we had the best of times, Don, and uh, we're very, very fortunate to have been around in those times and have been around the people we were around. And as you just said, we had fun. I mean, it was a job. It was long hours, all the traveling, the late nights, and et cetera, et cetera. Never a problem. It was just a wonderful – it was a joy to be a part of it, and I totally agree with you. Yeah, and wow. I just feel – I feel sorry for some of the young people coming along today. Uh, well, for a couple of reasons. One, they're not really uh, – they don't really stay at the job for too long a period of time. They'll stay maybe three or four years, and then they want to switch to something else. You know, the people we work with, you know, the Ray Kellys, and, I mean, everybody. They, <laughs> yeah. they, they, they were lifers. They, they, this is what they wanted to do. It's what I wanted well, to do my whole life and, and then and was lucky enough to be uh, a kid around about Larry Shankheim as his assistant. There's nothing I wanted to do more in my life than to be around Major League Baseball and my hometown team and to be able to do it for all those years to get paid for it. Uh, I mean, it was just a great, great time, and I just treasure every moment of it. Well, well we'll we all were right on that. Thank you so very, very much, as always. And we, uh, were, and we were young, and we were young. <laughs> I was 25 when I started, Roger, and I'm seven, I'll am be 77 this year. So, yeah, we were young. Well, I well, know, and I was I'm, 88 I'm on Saturday, so I'm, I'm, I'm catching up to you, Wheels. Nice going, Don. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Take care. Hey, thank Chris, you very, very so much. We'll do it again best. soon, Wheels. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Right, Roger, God bless. Don, uh, yeah, yeah. It's always a pleasure to hear your voices and I know it for bringing up the good times we had. I enjoyed it. Anytime, I'm around for you. Oh, Take care, that's partner. Great. Thank you. Take care. Okay, bye. Mike Zimzak Wonderful is times, next up. Mr. Henderson. Wonderful times. Yeah, they were wonderful. You got that right. Every, everybody we knew, it was fun, boy. I mean, it was, every day was a great day. And, uh, Mike Zimzak is ready to go, and uh, 
big uh, soccer announcement this week. They had the television flooded on Monday. Uh, Mike, maybe you'd like to chat a little bit about it, whether you're happy about where the designated areas are going to be or whether you're not. But to give us your update on what you think about the soccer decisions. Um, I've got to be honest, I was not surprised. Um, when we talked last week, uh, Roger and I came up with a number of the cities that we thought it was going to be, and we were spot on. Uh, the biggest thing that I, I, I guess if you could say the one question I had was why uh, Seattle was chosen maybe over Denver, right? Uh, as it looks in the United as you if you draw a line through Canada, there really isn't anything in between uh, Toronto, Kansas City, um, Denver, and like uh, Mexico City, west all the way to uh, uh, L.A., San Francisco, and uh, Seattle and Vancouver. So there's a massive swath in the upper Midwest and the uh, uh, Rocky Mountains that I was surprised that there's no games. But that is we're kind of equivalent on that point. There was nothing that came out from those 16 cities that were selected that really surprised me. Roger? Well, you know, uh, I I was not surprised either, Mike. And uh, I did want to bring up, uh, because this just uh, happened today, I don't know whether you saw the announcement or not, but uh, the Atlanta United uh, has acquired uh, two spots uh, on the international roster for the uh, duration of the uh, 2022 season. And I found it very interesting. They got one from Nashville for 175000 And then in the general allocation uh, money uh, uh, area, and uh, they uh, got an, a natural, a, a third round selection, and they gave this up in the 2023 Super Draft. They acquired an international roster spot for the balance of the season from the Seattle Sounders in exchange mm-hmm. for 175000 And I found that very interesting, uh, not that the acquisitions were made, but how they were made and what it cost them. Is that number, that 175 is that just like the, the normal going rate for a move like that? I think it's going right right now. Um, the other thing that that you can think of is that both, uh, that those teams knew that uh, Atlanta needed these additional international spots, and they were going to get all the money that they could out of it. Uh, the inner workings of player acquisitions and funding and things like that in MLS – I got to be honest, they're about as clear as mud. I have been doing this for the better part of 20 years, and I still don't understand how they come up with what they come up with. Um, mm-hmm. I really do believe at points in time, MLS is making it up as they as it comes along. Uh, what you're saying makes sense, but it doesn't make sense because it, it, it's just I, it's just. 
It's MLS. That's the only thing I can say about it. It's MLS. They, it, 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 it makes sense because it's MLS in a vacuum. That's what they're going to do. Uh, apparently, the going rate for international slots is like $175,000 in allocation money uh, mm-hmm. this season. Next season, it could be 250. The season after, it could be a, a draft pick. Who knows? Yeah, going so back to the pick about uh, that stadium, Eric. Uh, now, do they just consider that the metropolitan New York area because the governor of New Jersey, Murphy, was there with the, when the uh, announcement was made, as well as a few people from New York. Uh, do they just consider that to be one megalopolis, and, and, and it's really New York, New Jersey that's hosting the whole thing? Um, okay, so in getting these bids, it's not just the stadium. It's a little bit more complex than we initially thought, right? Not only do you have to have the stadium in place, right? You're bidding on the stadium that's sitting there. So when Philadelphia sends in their bid, they're saying like, hey, we're planning on having this game at Lincoln Financial Field. Here are the number of seats it has. Here is how big the field is going to be. Here are the press credentials or the press box. Here are the number of boxes that we have. But in addition to that, each metropolitan area has to come up with two outdoor areas that can uh, seat at least 20,000 people to watch every game, plus two FIFA-considered world-class training facilities out of view of the public. So, yeah, the stadium – so, yes, FIFA considers – New York and New Jersey, one metropolitan area, but they do that because, let, let's be honest, I, what the Giants and the Jets have been playing games in New York for the last over 50 years. So there's a lot of ways to get people from New York to New Jersey to the Meadowlands to see the game. The same way, you know, with Foxborough. They've been playing up there for 40, 50 years outside of Boston, even though it's uh, uh, almost 30 miles. They have the infrastructure to get people there. This is where D.C. and Baltimore failed. They couldn't put the bid together because there really is no connection in between D.C. and Baltimore. You can't do the same thing that you could do in Foxborough, to Boston or New York to the Meadowlands right. to get people around. And that's why the idea of having this, you know, D.C. said, well, we don't have a stadium. We, don't, we can't sign a contract to say that we're going to have a stadium here because we don't – we've talked about it on the show. We don't know right. where the Redskins are going to be playing in two years, let alone right. in 2026. So they couldn't make those promises, and that's why – there will not be any games in the na- area of the nation's capital. Yeah, Don, I would think that it was the New, Jer- New York, New Jersey Exposition Authority that probably uh, put in the bid, and that would be the same group that bid when they got the Super Bowl at MetLife Stadium a couple yeah, of years ago, what, five years ago. Demonstrate, you know, and yeah, go keep in mind these things were put together back in 2018. So clearly back then even, 
um, New York, New Jersey was able to demonstrate not only how they were going to have the outdoor uh, fan experience, the world class training, the hotels, also how they were going to get people from point A to point B. Right. And the one, you know, let's not lie, like they've been doing this for 50 years. They know how to get people from the city of New York to the Meadowlands for these games. Well, you know what else, Mike, that they have there is an unbelievable uh, 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 amusement park. I mean, Mm -hmm. it took a long time to build, but, I mean, it's right next to uh, MetLife Stadium. And uh, so, you know, so that is another attraction where people, before they go, they can go there and have a lot of fun. That's the old Governor Minor complex. Well, it, it's I forget the name of it. I used to, I know the name. I can't think of it. I, I don't know the name uh, of it either. Just, but it, 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 remember when they had the uh, the uh, arena there before they built the uh, Continental Airlines Arena, right? Yeah, and it's part, and that is part of this complex now, right? But it's and it was, a and it was Governor Minor before that. Well, that goes way back. Okay, right. that goes way back. But but I. What other questions before we jump out of this? Uh, uh, we talked about it at the very top of the show. Uh, your impression of uh, the National Football League uh, results today and what's going to happen with Dan Snyder, and they say he's going to testify next week. Give us an update on what's happening there and your impression of the investigation that the National Football League put, in, put out today. Honestly, did we learn anything today that we did not already know? The only no. thing that I learned today was that Roger Goodell continues to have his head in the sand when it comes <laughs> to the Redskins. When he sits there and says, you know, as far as I know, Dan Snyder is not involved in the day-to-day operation. Um, the, the workplace w- w- was great, but it's changed now. And Dan Snyder, as far as I know, is not involved in this day-to-day operation. We did not learn anything that we did not already know. Um, and I was, don't have the authority to uh, uh, re, uh, get rid of the team. He said that, too. <laughs> yeah. All that Roger Goodell managed to do today was show just how awfully um, it borders in between negligence and just straight-up buffoonery how poorly the NFL handled this investigation into the, 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 the Redskins. Um, that they allowed Dan Snyder and the Redskins to investigate themselves for two weeks plus before they got involved. That they changed the, okay. the description from, you know, what we want is a written document with recommendations to, okay, we're going to do oral, to the fact that Roger Goodell can sit there and say, you know, after Wilkinson, and which we all believe had a recommendation that said Dan Snyder should leave the team, to, well, we just want him to step away from. Uh, the day-to-day operations, and that he, that Roger Goodell can sit there and say, like, as far as I know, 
Dan Snyder's not involved in the day-to-day operations of the team. It just shows just how inept the NFL has been in handling this situation. And I really believe it. it's either cluelessness or negligence. I'd hold it right there for a second because uh, Doug, Doug's, Doug's with us too, and uh, we'll bring you guys on together because you're in Baltimore, he's in Baltimore, Washington. Uh, Doug, I'm hey, sure look, you. Uh, um, Doug, it's been a rough day for the Ravens. Yeah, we had a couple of passings today, and, uh, you know, legendary Tony Siragusa, who was uh, a giant personality and a, and a nice Raven for, for a while, Super Bowl champion. Um, disturbing news, you know, about Jalen Ferguson, uh, 26 years old, passing today. Um, I don't know if you've heard uh, what exactly happened to him. Um, I, I heard something. I don't know whether it was speculation or truth uh, that that he was involved with uh, Xanax, and that was the cause of his death. I'm not sure about that. What did you hear? Doug, I heard that um... – the last thing I heard from the authorities were that they were going to let the they, – there were no signs of foul play. There were no signs of anything yeah. else and that they were going to wait on the uh, medical examiner to make a final decision on what happened with uh, Jalen Ferguson. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, Doug, what, what do you think about the commissioner's decision, too? You just heard, uh, you know, what Mike had to say. What's your thoughts about what the commissioner did today with his – Press conference. Um, you know, I, I can tell you that um, that my wife used to work for the Redskins many years ago, and um, you know, she can probably um, tell you that that was a very bad culture of of how they ran things uh, from top to bottom. Uh, whether it was what you're hearing about the sexual harassment, or whether it was just flat out harassment in the workplace. Um, you know, so, I mean, that has to start with somebody. And, you know, you can say that Dan Snyder's not involved in day-to-day operations, but he, he at some point has to be aware of of what his people in place are doing. So, um, you know, under his leadership, that football team is, is not a good representation of the NFL, in my opinion. So I'm not certain of how you fix that other than eliminate him from his, from his post. Roger? Well, yeah, I agree. I mean, especially after what the, the commissioner said, that he doesn't have the authority to uh, make the team or ha- have the team sold. It takes, what, three quarters of the uh, owners uh, to yeah. do that. Yeah. But, I, you know, Doug, well, we did talk about Tony Saraguso, and I wanted to get to, to you and Mike about this, uh, too. Um, you, you know, his father died of a heart attack, I think, when he was 40-some years old, early 40s. And yeah. uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they find the Tony Saraguso, uh, because he carried a lot of bulk, and even though he might have lost some weight, uh, but it is right. a, a hereditary uh, a genetic uh, a situation. But, uh, sure. you know, I did not know that uh, he was from New Jersey, and neither did Don, and he lives not far from where Don lives in New Jersey. And, uh, okay. and he went. He uh, went to Kenilworth High School, uh, but uh, I think that the uh, the Fox and and TV, uh, and I don't know why he gave it up, but I think they lost the personality. And Roy Cummings said that in the first half hour. What do you fellows think? 
the Goose was a great personality on the sideline. I yeah. think there were points in time where they wanted him to be able to do some stuff that he wasn't necessarily prepared to be able to do. But he was a larger-than-life personality. Um, yeah, he's the type of guy that you would like to go out and just have a couple of pints with. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, well, I think he I brought personality. Can't. It's something that we, we really don't see in any of the sideline reporters or the uh, analysts or the play-by-play. There's not much personality in any of the games anymore when it comes to the broadcast, whether it's television or whether it's radio. Uh, we talked to Chris Wheeler a minute ago for 15 or 20 minutes about the Phillies. One of the great parts about listening to the Phillies or listening to the Yankees or listening to – the Giants, and, and uh, it was the whole personality that they brought to the games. And to me, I listen to the games now, and, and as I said to Chris, they put you to sleep. I mean, it, there's nothing there. Right. Yeah. I'll tell you what, you guys, it's a shame you can hear Chip Carey doing uh, TV. You know, he does the Braves. I want to tell you, he keeps it uh, quick, uh, and when they go to uh, a half inning, I mean to tell you, it is like quick. There's like a quick highlight and everything. It's tremendous production, and I'll tell you, Chip Carey has carried on well the Carey tradition from his grandfather mm-hmm. to his father to uh, him now. He's and, all, and, and every tremendous. one of them a different personality, totally different personalities. They did, absolutely, yeah. Uh, gentlemen, I I I want to say something to Doug real quick. Number one, Doug, um, we need to get yeah. together again real quick uh, soon because uh, love to hang out with uh, you and your wife again. But I went out, Doug, and shot my first nine holes of golf on Sunday. Man, was oh, that oh. amazing. I I'm gonna tell you How what, did you do, I Mike? shot a I shot a sixty five. And then I went to the second hole. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Y'all take care, and I'll catch you up. Take care, Mike. Okay, Mike, talk to you next week. Thank you very much for your contribution. Doug, uh, before we uh, get get off the beam here, uh, another big day for golf. A lot of announcements today about what's going to happen now as they compete with new competition across the sea. And, uh, uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how much uh, opportunity you've had to, to follow it, but uh, they did make some really dramatic changes. Uh, uh, no cuts in some of the tournaments, uh, bigger uh, yeah. cash values for some of the tournaments. Uh, also, uh, uh, the, the FedEx Cup is going to be longer uh, than the uh, qualifying that it is now, uh, and there's going to be a few other uh, uh, major changes as they combat the competition. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I, I heard a little bit about that today. And, and uh, you know, obviously they, they uh, randomly, quote-unquote, picked eight tournaments to increase the purse in and you know, some of the other things that you mentioned. So it seems to me like it's kind of a, a knee-jerk reaction to, to a competitor to keep things, you know, apples to apples. Um you know, I, I don't even know what to make of all this uh, that's going on. I think it's silly. Um, I saw that Brooks Kepka defected to to the LIV tour. So, yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a 
there's a small portion of me that thinks that Greg Norman did this uh, to, to draw these Americans away from, from the Ryder Cup team for some selfish reason. I, I'm not sure, you know, how I feel about all this. Um, you know, I mean, we've talked about this in subsequent weeks, but I know money is money, and, and these guys are doing this for the betterment of their families and the longevity of their career because there's more money at stake. But I don't know. I just It's just something about it smells. It's just not right. Um, so, I, I, like I said, I mean, you're going to continue to get these different things that happen, and eventually, you know, we've talked about this, you'll, you'll probably get some sort of litigation in court that determines – you know, something. I don't know if they ever worked as partners or if this is a subsequent tour that, that has recognition for world ranking points or... Well, one of the other things they said was they weren't going to borrow anybody from this year. Uh, if you're right. a member of the PGA now, you can continue to play in the tournaments. Right. They're not going to borrow anybody for this year. So we'll see what happens there. And let me just say at the top, yep. because uh, we brought you on with Mike. Uh, you know, yeah. we talked about the Doug Hamilton, who joins us every week from down the Baltimore area, uh, has his own yep. club down there and is a PGA professional. We talk off with him week in and week out. Uh, this happens to be a much more important week because so many things are happening and so many decisions were made today and announced today. Yep. So uh, I guess we're all going to have to sit back. One of the tournaments I know that they were going to add $25 million to uh, to the pot uh, and uh, – but uh, it, they are trying to combat, in some ways, uh, some of the things that that uh, Greg Norman has tried to take away. Yeah, a lot of the models are equivalent with, as you mentioned, no cuts and right. You know, picking eight tournaments that they've increased the uh, the prize money significantly. Um, you know, I think you're and the way you qualify the for the uh, FedEx Cup. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I think you'll see a ripple effect with uh, with the women's tour as well because you know you're you're of a of an era now where we we have lots of different groups you know clamoring for equality and, and the women uh, step to the forefront in golf when it comes to the prize purses that they're getting paid. So I mean, I think this will this will change some different things. I agree. It's going to be like soccer. It's going to women are going to have to get you know yeah. in some cases the same prize money that uh, the men get, and uh, uh, that's only a matter of time before somebody makes some kind of uh, a move in that direction. I agree with you. Roger? Yeah. Well, I agree, too. Uh, the other thing, didn't I hear that uh, the uh, tournaments uh, are going to be more condensed? Uh, so, uh, you, you know, you may not have as uh, uh, several weeks between uh, tournaments uh, uh, because of the uh, added uh, – stipend that's going to be added was i am i right about that or not that's what i thought i heard today i i did yeah, not hear I, that i i, I no, don't I know not. yeah i i i was listening to sirius xm and uh i thought that's what i heard i i heard about the increase in the purses and i thought and on eight what was it eight tournaments but i thought they all also condensed the uh the schedule and, uh, you know, Doug, I'll tell you, I know your wife's a big dog fan. Uh, right. There is a lot of speculation about the Southeast Conference and the big conferences going away from the NCAA and uh, having their own operation. Have you heard about that? 
I have not. Um, you know, most mostly what I hear from her is, oh, we signed another recruit. Oh, you know, this guy's not transferring, or you know, that's. I mean, she she's twenty four seven, like you know, plugged into, you know, uh, all the sports at Georgia for that matter. Like she'll she'll randomly say to me, oh, did you know the, you know, Georgia ping pong team won today, or you know, random stuff. Like I'm just saying. I mean, she she's all in. Yeah, well, that's the only thing I know. Notre Dame's baseball team lost yesterday. That's a that was a big, one of the big upsets I saw. But I'm telling you, there's so much <laughs> going, there's so much going on right now between the college world, series, baseball, uh, the Stanley Cup, and uh, you know, it, it, you just can't keep track of everything. <clears throat> yeah, it's a great time to be a sports fan, and uh, you know, of course, uh, in our household, unfortunately, the Orioles lost last night to the Nationals, which was very unfortunate for me. Um, last I saw, they were up was three nothing um, on the Nats tonight. A little quick two game series, so um, I'm not sure. I think the O's had a couple. They were in trouble there. Must have been about the fifth inning. They must have changed pitchers, but uh, we'll see. Roger. Well, the uh, on another subject, I wanted to make sure you got the catalog that I sent to you. Yeah, I, uh, I did. I, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll be in touch with you about that if you're interested in anything. But sure. uh, yeah, no, I, I just I, uh, I, look, I look. Oh, that's all right. I'll talk to you off, offline about it. Okay. The okay. Um, yep. but I, I just they, I did hear that uh, the Masters is not uh, going to uh, bar any of the uh, members of this uh, new group. Yeah. Well, I tell you. What I did see, I don't know if it was – there was something online uh, for this it's called Golf Works, and they were talking about uh, Augusta redoing the 13th hole, trying to make it longer. Um, you know, so I don't know if there's any speculation of that or not, but I saw a lot of earth being moved in the pictures I saw. Let me interrupt, Doug, to say with uh, 19.20 to go in the second period, Tampa Bay leads, Colorado won nothing, so – Tampa Bay in the first period is playing their game. They're not letting them fly up the ice like they normally do and capitalize on their speed. And right now the Lightning have them by one goal, one nothing, with 19:02 to go in the, in the second period. And go that ahead. goal was real quick early in the game, Don. Yeah. In the first minute. Go first ahead, First minute, yeah. Yeah, well, the, uh, you know, getting back uh, to uh, golf, Doug, what, how do you think these tournaments are going to work? I mean, it's easy to you know to hear that they're going to raise the purses and all on this stuff, but how would they, can you visualize how the schedule would be tightened? Or, and that's number one. Are they going to add on any tur- tournaments? Um. Well, I mean, I, I looking at the the, the the model of the live it was a con- it was a condensed eight quote unquote exhibition tournament which had a ridiculous amount of of money that was you know in their prize purses in addition to what they likely paid them to just make the the shift from their respective tours in upfront money um, you know so the PGA looks at that and they're like okay well you know how is it that I'm going to be able to keep people on the tour if there's more money to be made somewhere else. And so obviously they've 
they've come up with this model of, you know, adding prize money to eight additional tournaments, um, I guess, in an effort to do that. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, in corporate America, I mean, they're obviously leaning on their sponsors to do this. I mean, I don't think, you know, when you talk about the comparison to the Saudi money, I mean, I don't think anything compares to that. So I'm not sure, you know, which one's more sustainable than the other. Um, so I, Doug, I don't know. I think you made yeah, a key point last week, though, when you said it, and I agreed with you 100% on it. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, it's great to look at it now this year when, you know, there's so much uh, publicity and notoriety. But how long, how many people are actually going to leave the PGA Tour to go over to play in this event or these events uh, with right. us for the Saudi Arabia. I mean, is it going to last a year? Is it going to, uh, they're going right. to have to get a television contract. They don't have anything that nobody can see it, right. uh, you know, unless you you uh, have some, you know, special equipment to get it. Uh, I just don't right. see how it can last. Well, that's the interesting point, Don. I mean, I, I don't know that anyone really cares whether they're on TV or not, you know, when it comes down to the, you know, the, the, the dollars and cents of it. Yeah, but if you're going I mean, to get you people honestly, there, to, if you're going to get people to come see it, you create a, an atmosphere of uh, you gotta you got to have something. And if you don't have any TV, I mean, how, you know, the, the, the AFL, all the other leagues that they tried to, the reason they were successful is because they were successful with television and forced a merger. Right. And, and that's not going to happen with this, with at least the way it is now. That's not going to happen. Well, no, no, I, no American company has gone in and, and bought the rights to any of this. No, and I don't. I honestly believe that when you talk about anything that's involved in, in Saudi Arabia, they want it unto themselves. I mean, they, this is their personal tour that they're purchasing, essentially, and buying the players to entertain themselves. I mean, you know, think about Saudis and horse racing. The, the Saudi Cup is the richest, you know, horse race that exists. The winner gets $10 million. And what they do is they try to buy up all the horses and have their own personal playground of these things. It's It's how they do business. So... It's I don't a different see this world different. there. You know, yeah. I mean, they. I mean, do you, do you think we're ever going to stop consuming oil? That that money is never going to end for those people. It just depends on how they spend it. <laughs> you know, so right. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, what it, what it boils down to is: are you are you a man of of tradition when it comes to the history? and the rich traditions of the PGA Tour going back to 1916, or, you know, are you at the back end of your career not thinking you can really win on tour anymore, and you're going to take the $150 million plus whatever else you get? I mean, that's the decision. Well, it's tough to say no. no. I mean, it really is. It's very <laughs> difficult uh, we talked about it last week. Yeah, Mickles is getting two hundred million dollars. I mean, fifty-two years of age, his chances of winning much on the tour is almost nothing. And then the senior right. tour, you don't make that kind of money anyway. So for him to yeah. uh, not take the two hundred million now at fifty-two, uh, just uh, you know, buying on his past performance and his name, uh, but I right. can't imagine him not taking the money. 
Uh, do you know that's whether right. there are many golf yeah. courses in Saudi Arabia? And that's my first question. And the second one oh. is we see the way the, uh, what golf is in in Japan uh, and I guess in Asia, but mainly in Japan. And I'm amazed because I'm uh, driving on a, around a golf course every day. And I'm amazed when I see how many Asians uh, are there, yeah. especially late in the after the afternoon. Now, I mean, now that you have longer days. But uh, well, do you, one, one either now, one of Roger. you know how? Colorado just scored 1-1. One, one. Oh, did? Okay. Uh, do you have any idea how many, how many golf courses there are in Saudi Arabia? I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, Per capita, I'm not sure. I mean, if you talk about Japan, there's not very many. But well, you're, you're limited on space there too. Uh, correct. You know, correct. Doug. You know, that's a that's a big issue, real estate, and that's why why a lot of the people come over here to play golf. Well, and, boys, um, we'll try to I solve think, it uh, next week. Frank tells me we're out of time. Tick tick tick. We got to get a call tonight. Thanks to all our guests. Great night. Great entertainment. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Roger. Talk to you later. Doug, okay, thank you very much, great... Frank. Take it over. You're in control. Okay, thanks. Take care, Frank. Thank, thank you. Have a great week. God bless. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every day of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and see somebody in a uniform, please give them a chance. You know, shake their hand, tell them you good job, thank them for their service. Whatever you can do really is appreciated. These programs are dedicated to those whose lives are lost, to, lost their lives in line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman De- Jeffrey Colcap, <clears throat> Patrolman Jeffrey Curtis, uh, Patrolman Jeffrey Gazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Bader, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Chillers, San Diego Officer Mike Henner, Sergeant Thomas Wilson, Charles County Sheriff's Office, Carpenter Springs Police Officer Charlie Condit. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Charles, Charles Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Anopo Crispin, Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Patrol jo- uh, Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Office. Captain <clears throat> Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Rick, Rick Chris Leach. Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. <clears throat> Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Uh, Chief Al Hogo, Longwood Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10 7 at this point in time, sometime will be 10 10 at the table in the world. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you, may the winds be always at your back. May the rain fall softly in your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, can the, the good Lord keeps you and your family always in the hell of his hands. Good night, God bless, and have a great week. Shame on the
fiery blade engaged to lead, he'd break the bravest in the Hey, Bob, we love you and we miss you. 